Hey, if you're invested in the Las Vegas mayoral race, and really, we should all be, you're going to want to check out the Nevada Independent Mayoral Forum on Wednesday, May 15th at the Fountain Blue. The Indy CEO, John Ralston, will be moderating a live panel with the three frontrunners. You know, it could get spicy, so don't miss it. Tickets are available at thenevadaindependent.com slash events. And as a bonus for CityCast Las Vegas members, we've got two pairs of tickets we're giving away tonight. So make sure to join at membership.citycast.fm if you haven't already. Some people have pretty strong emotions about palm trees in and around our valley. But whether you love them or you hate them, did you know that a lot of the palms you see actually produce edible fruit? And no surprise, in the history of date-bearing palms, Las Vegas and the Mojave Desert have their own chapter. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we are fortunate to have one of the best food historians in the country with us. Oh, and it just happens to be our co-host, Sarah Lohman. She's going to help us bite into the sweet story of dates in our desert. It's Thursday, December 14th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Sarah Lohman, welcome to this episode of CityCast Las Vegas. Thanks, David. What a what a sweet intro. The sweetest date of them all. Aw. Well, I like um, how much knowledge you bring to the table in addition to all the good stuff you bring as a co-host. But today, yeah, dates. Date, date palms. Well, as I understand it, dates themselves aren't even originally from the desert southwest, no. but they have become, I don't know, kind of an iconic part of the Mojave. You drive up I-15, you you cannot, like in any line of vision, not see a sign for date shakes or something like that. Right. You know, how did that happen? You know, I think I was really drawn to this story, too, because um, being from the East Coast, like I never imagined that America had this native date industry. I guess we could call it a now native in that dates are grown here in this country. Quite a few. Actually, just about as many as we import are grown here. And that happened because in basically the 19 teens, there was this group of scientists at the USDA that called themselves the food explorers. And the main player here is or David Fairchild, which some of you foodies might have heard about. Have you heard of him before, David? Not a real foodie. I'm I'm a faux foodie. <laughs> you like that? He's like becoming a more famous dude because he introduced like not just dates, but so many American crops. And then there's this other guy, Walter Swingle, who works specifically on the Dates Project. And the government, the American government saw the Coachella Valley as just unused terrain, which is nonsense. The Kuiya indigenous people were there and quite happy without anyone bothering them. But in the classic like colonization thing, they were like, land isn't being used if it's not farmed, right? Right. So these scientists realized that that area had basically the same climate as the Arabian Peninsula. Super, super, super hot. Lots of days under over 100 degrees. Not a lot of rain, but lots of underground water, which is, sounds really similar to Las Vegas' climate too, right? So they realized that one of the Arabian Peninsula's most prized crops 
dates, date palms could be grown in Coachella. So it started in Coachella in the 19-teens and 20s and spread um, into Arizona and then a little bit right here to the Las Vegas Valley. Wow. And that was at a time when Coachella was not crowded with holograms of music singers who have long died. So perfect. Very shortly (laughs) after, though, to promote the date industry, they started this annual festival that was like based on this sort of like biblical fancy, like biblical, imaginary, slutty Middle East from about 2000 years ago. Sounds right. And so it became like this annual Halloween sort of celebration. And the date farms were usually like North African themed. And it was a whole kind of appropriatory thing of which there are still fascinating remnants of in in Coachella. Oh, Coachella, what wild things you give to us. And are we even grateful? You know a lot about this, I know, because uh, you have a book out that I do. is exploring the history of a lot of foods, some of which are, well, I mean, the title gives it away, Endangered Eating, and you have an entire chapter on dates. That's amazing. I do, and now know too much about dates, potentially. Yeah, and the focus of the chapter is within the Coachella Valley and the surrounding areas of the Mojave, um, the dates were small family farms. And they were, in some cases, growing dates from pits as opposed to cuttings, oh. which means that they were making new varieties of dates. And now there are, there are, I would say, like six to a dozen that are still in production, and they are grown nowhere else in the world. And actually... There is a date farm closer than Coachella that grows some of these unique varieties. You're familiar with China Ranch just over the border? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. In the Amargosa Valley, they grow like the the big names, Medjool and Deglet Noor. Those are probably like the most well-known dates. But they also have their own hybrid like that's unique to China Ranch. And then they grow um, Black Beauty dates, which are from Shields Date Garden. They were developed by the Shields family in Coachella. They're not as big as a medjool, but they're kind of fruity like a medjool is. And then they also have honey dates, which are like a particularly chewy, caramel-textured date, too. I think a lot of people, I mean, certainly myself, are very familiar with the medjool. We see those. I'll pick them up at Sprouts or Albertsons or wherever. Tell me more about the medjool. That's the one I think I see the most in the grocery store. So what's its origin and connection to us? Yeah. And so that, you know, nationally is probably one of the, the internationally is probably one of the best known dates. But in the 1920s, when Swingle and Fairchild were trying to import, you know, this really prized date variety, they're very big, they're very sweet, they're kind of gooey and luscious, just like you, David. <laughs> what? They're also high in fiber, which I would say is probably more like me. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's been a long day. No, that's fine. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'm back. I'm back. So yes, medjools, not just like the most common here, but like internationally prestigious date, I would say like large, jewel-like, extra sweet. So, okay. In the 1920s, specifically 1927, Fairchild and Swingle, they wanted to import the medjools. The, The USDA, the American government, wanted them to get this prize date. But there was an insect pest that was just decimating the medjool date palm, specifically Morocco, okay, where this this variety originated. And so they were able to find a remote garden in uh, Morocco where they were uninfected by this pest. They brought home several trees that were, several palms that were immediately fumigated, and then they needed to isolate them for probably years. Oh, wow. So what they decided to do was to bring them to Nevada, just outside of Needles, because of the proximity to Coachella, but also they saw Nevada as a a date palm 
free state, which actually isn't, wasn't quite true. But like they also went to a very isolated area. And they work with a Bureau of Indian Affairs agent called Frank Thackeray, who connected with an elderly Paiute couple. They were actually um, Tim Wavy, who lived on a plot of land and farmed this land. And basically they were like, you know, we would like to work with you because we know that you're going to stay on this land. They were quite old and so they couldn't really travel. So about what year was this, Sarah? 1927 is okay. when the Palms came in. They came into Washington, D.C. and then traveled across the country and then ended up in Nevada. Wow. And it was this BIA agent that was like, I know just the people to do this because also he wanted to get this couple. There was a stipend involved with the with protecting the trees. So the couple said, yeah, we'll take it on. So we know that their last name was Johnson, but unfortunately, we don't know a ton about them because as things happen, in as the story was told in the successful aftermath, all of the credit was given to the BAA and the scientists and not the indigenous couple who did the work. Names being erased. Mm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. It's just always, it's always part of the story. So they planted 11 trees, and unfortunately, two of them were dug up by dogs. Um, But (laughs) the other nine survived. And I've got two sources on this. One says four years, one says seven years. But basically, in that amount of time, the trees thrived, and they produced what are called suckers, which are like the the baby trees that you can then plant. So then they're all removed from the property. And so this indigenous couple was responsible for starting the medjool industry in America, But also because these plants were disease-free, they were shipped back to Morocco to repopulate the Moroccan uh, date gardens with medjool dates. So they had an international effect, effect, and we don't even know their first names, which is such a bummer. Yeah. Well, Nevada in in the mix, always. Uh, That's fascinating, though. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden-up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Are dates good for us, Sarah? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I think that these date shakes are just so maybe packed with sugar that they could go sideways. <laughs> or yeah. Is, is it like that? It's not a healthy treat, but dates are good. Well, okay. There's a Yeah, there's a difference between dates and date shakes. Date shakes are delicious, so they're mentally healthy for me and for you. And they really are. If you all haven't had one, like you've had, would you have a favorite date shake place, David? China Date Ranch is awesome, and they offer the date shakes there. And it seems like... So close to the source. You can't go wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been out there yet because I conducted most of my research in Coachella. Um, and my favorite out there was definitely Shields. They use Blonde Beauty dates, another one of these rare 
unique to America dates. And it's just like liquid, delicious caramel. But yeah, dates themselves are like a very healthy snack. Their sugars are like very easy to metabolize. They do have a lot of fiber. They've also got like a lot of sort of base nutrients and minerals. But I don't, I mean, you know me, I'm a real hedonist, David. So I'm just going to eat something if I like it. Well, dates are really good in like date cake. Yeah. And I've got a favorite downtown at the Main Street Provisions. They put a date cake on their menu. It's so good, Sarah. So we could share that together. I would love that. And it's that's very seasonal because December is the month that where the date gardens, the small farmers and the big ones sell the most dates. It's still like harvest time is in November. It's been associated with the holidays, like really since the Revolutionary War here, like Mm. all the way back, we were importing them. And and the only shift in like date selling has been that now the second most profitable month for date growers and sellers is whenever Ramadan hits, because it's traditionally used to break the fast at sunset. So it's the first thing you eat to like wake your body up to eat food again. Totally interesting. Now, is there a date variety? You mentioned there's There's only a couple that most people see in grocery stores, but there seem to be so many that are out there. Do you have a favorite date variety? I really love those blonde beauties from Shields. I find they're just like, I thought I didn't like dates and maybe was a little unsure what a date was via fig, which I think a lot of people are too. Dates are the ones that come from palms. Those blonde beauties are called a semi-sweet, semi-dry date. So they're like less juicy and less sweet compared to something like a medjool. And they really have both this texture and flavor, like caramelized sugar. They're really beautiful. Those are, you can find at Shields and you can order those too online. So what do you think about the the date, uh, I guess, versus the dating scene in Las Vegas? How, how has the date impacted our community? I have opinions about both, but we'll stick with date palms for right now. Fair. So we have here in Las Vegas a much bigger connection to date palms than I think anybody expects because the majority of the palm trees in landscaping anywhere in the city are going to be date palms. So we have two types of palms planted here. One is the fan palm, which is a native Mojave plant. Their Mm. fronds look more like a fan or like a hand. They're sort of uh, rounder. And then the date palms have really long, thin, to me, like genuinely, like they look biblical. Their fronds, you know, just longer and thinner. And that's how you can generally tell the difference. Um, The Mojave palms, the native palms, they actually do also have an edible fruit. They tend to ripen between December and January. Um, They're not very fleshy. I've actually not gotten a chance to try them, but there are some growing at my uh, Chase Bank in Henderson. Are they technically dates or are they some other fruit? They're another fruit. We eat so many palm fruits. I could go on and on, David. So give me a few examples of fruits that come from palms. Okay, so dates, of course, but acai is also a palm fruit, too. Uh, And, you know, like coconuts. Coconuts are from palm trees. Coconut palms. Probably others. Sure. I guess that totally makes sense. I mean, all those years of Gilligan's Island's reruns and I those are palms. Of course they are extremely prolific palms. They're native to basically the entire world. Good for coconuts. We do have a native palm in the Mojave. That's the fan palm. And then the date palms were imported. Um, I talked to uh, Vintage Vegas, one of my favorite Instagram accounts, Jeffrey, and uh, we sort of collabed. And the earliest reference we can find to like the now iconic palms in Las Vegas is from a 1905 photo of a drugstore downtown. They had potted palms out front and they're clearly date palms. Well, it's hard to go back further than that. That was the year we were, you know, founded at the big land auction. Incorporated. Well, we were incorporated in 1911. That's fair. That's fair. So they're kind of have been with us since the beginning. Yeah. 
But Jeffrey at Vintage Vegas did some really unique research, and he found that like the explosion of palms in our landscaping really has to do with the completion of the Mirage, which was like 88, 89, some, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. 89, I think they opened up. So it's desert-themed, right? It's Arabian Peninsula-themed. So they put a lot of palm trees in, and then basically all of the resorts that opened in the 90s all wanted to have that same level of, of palminess. And now it's not just like resort landscaping, like it's a part of city projects. It's a, a part of, you know, like urban mall strip landscaping as well. They're really everywhere. And a lot of those date palms will produce fruit. You've, have you, you've probably seen some, like just some date palms growing some fruit in the city, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see them all over the place. And now, see, now you got me thinking with Vintage Vegas. And yeah, of course, the logo of the Mirage is the palm tree. And I think if you even go before that, uh, the Dunes, which was where the Bellagio is now, they had an add-on around 1983 called the Oasis Casino. Oh, And their sure. iconic sign was, I think, a couple of palm trees. So it's been kind of ingrained in our into our DNA in a lot of ways. Uh, of course, Sarah, you know, there's a lot of palm tree hatred here in Las Vegas too, especially, you know, people who are concerned about conserving water. I guess even though the dates are delicious, do palms make sense in our water-scarce valley and in a place where palms can maybe do some damage to? There's actually a lot of opinions on that because, you know, palms do grow really deep tap roots. They're designed to tap into underground water, which is really, you know, how our, our valley is set up. So we reached out to Lisa Ortega. She's the executive director of Nevada Plants, and she actually had some like measured, you know, thoughts on it. She says there's over 20 palms here. You know, the ones I mentioned are the largest. And most, she says, are medium water users, um, especially, you know, our typical fan palm is, although it's an oasis, a Mojave oasis plant, it is sort of designed to be here. And she says, yes, okay, the date palms do use water, but she also points out, okay, they're iconic, yes. They thrive in lower soil volumes, um, which of course is good for the soil we have here in Las Vegas. And their straight trunks work well with continual traffic and views, and that like we can't, in places we can't plant other canopy trees. So especially considering, you know, how upset everybody was about the Bellagio trees being cut down for F1 and how that spins out into these conversations about climate change, right? And how we keep our our earth cool. You know, Lisa is basically saying like, are they so bad? You know, maybe they are the trees that work here in an environment that needs more trees. I mean, I'll totally defer to Lisa. We've had her on the podcast. We consider her the Lorax for our valley. (laughs) She's great. They're not shade trees. They are beautiful. That's so interesting. One more random fact for you. Love it. There tends to be one type of date palm that's generally planted in landscaping. It's called the zahidi, and it is an edible date. It's a, a little bit of a dry date. It's a little bit like fruit leathery, but it has that really, really beautiful, iconic palm shape. And so that's the one. It's an edible variety, but it tends to be used a lot in landscaping. Can people just harvest those directly off the tree and into their bodies? Yes. Well, okay. I do. I put like a couple steps in between. So yeah, if you see a landscaping palm that's growing dates, you can absolutely eat them. They tend to ripen in November and they will look like how you picture dates in the store, like sort of a dark brown or, I mean, honestly, dates sort of vary in color, but it's in the browns. It's darkish. They'll be wrinkly. The only thing I'd recommend, maybe two things is, you know, wash them. Everything 
can have pesticides on it or whatever. Just give it a rinse. You can give it a rinse in a vinegar water bath, too, if you want to be really careful. But really, since these plants aren't treated for food harvesting, you should cut every date open because there could be insects living inside. Oh, That's my one piece of advice. Just give it a little look-see before you pop it in your mouth. And maybe if uh, in your various travels you found some good date-centric recipes, we could pop those into the show notes, too. That might be fun. Oh, sure. I mean, in my book, I give two. One is for the chock full of nuts date bread, which is legendary to many East Coasters. Um, and then another one is from my good friend Rowan Al-Khatib. And it's this incredible recipe for dates sauteed in butter, which is like very Arabian Peninsula. But then she serves it on focaccia that's been spread with ricotta and honey and chili flakes. And it's so freaking good. That sounds delicious. Sarah Lohman, thank you so much for joining us today on CityCast Las Vegas. Thanks, David. Quick reminder, Sarah has a whole chapter about dates in her new book, Endangered Eating, which was just listed as a must read by The New York Times and Amazon and Eater, and a whole bunch of other people, too. So go get yourself a copy, stat, and you know, try some of those recipes, too. I want to uh, come over to your house and have some. And that is all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend and rate the show? Leave us a review, too, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Till then, y'all stay lucky. <laughs>